there's an interesting thing that happens, you know, especially when I'm teaching a series like what we were just doing there. Um, I remember back when I was 15 years old uh, going into the dojo in Fort Wayne. And what was really interesting is we had classes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That was the schedule of classes. And we had one black belt teaching on Monday who was fabulous. We had another one who taught on Wednesday, different guy, incredible, and somebody amazing that taught on Friday. But they all three were totally different, right? And back in those days, the, the way that they had the, the curriculum sort of set up, we don't really do the same thing here, mostly because, you know, especially for the adults, I teach like most of the classes and the people that even teach our other classes were sort of, where there's a little bit more of a, of a team sort of mentality. But, but back in those days, we had the, the chart of the standards of the style and they were all sort of numbered, right? And it really wasn't very effective even back in those days because it, it was a number. It would be like number one, you know, you're going to teach a knife hand, uh, uh, a rising delivery knee, and number two, you teach it, you know, whatever it was. It was on the, on the list. And so the idea was when a teacher would come in, if it said number seven, he'd look at the curriculum and those are the moves that he was going to teach that night. It was part of the thing, right? Except for the fact that oftentimes the teachers would just forget to change the board. It just happened, right? So what would happen is you'd get, you know, knife hand taught on Monday from Mr. Stevens. And you, man, that was pretty good. I, I, I left it and I got it and it was really, really good. And then you'd come back on Wednesday feeling okay about knife hand and somebody didn't change the board. And then Mr. Braun would teach knife hand again, except you'd go, Wow, I thought I had it on Monday, but I didn't have it. The analogies that he's using for knife is so much better. And if you got really lucky, really lucky, somebody forgot to change the board again. And you'd come back on Friday and you'd get it the third time. And then you'd just wake up and you say, man, I had no idea. And it seemed to me that it was really necessary to get a different perspective of the same thing. A different perspective of the same thing. How many of you ever listened to books on tape? So one of the most useful ways of learning, and you can apply this to martial arts, of course, but you apply it to anything. I love to get the book, listen to the book on tape, read the book, listen to it, so I'm doing both. And then whoever wrote the book almost always has interviews on YouTube talking about the book. So I listened to the guy being interviewed on the podcast or on YouTube about what the book says. I read the book and I also listen to the book. And after about the fifth or sixth or 10th time through the book, then I actually understand the words. Make sense? And everything in life is like that. So that what happens is, is that we live in a culture where we're really quantity over quality. And that might, might have some benefit. I get why a Dixie cup makes sense. I don't, every time I brush my teeth, I don't want to have to wash the dishes. I get that, right? But there are certain things, particularly martial arts, that ought not be throwaway. They ought to be fewer things with more care, more mindfully done. Make sense? Now, it seems to me like in the world that we live in, I think one of the things is it's very interesting in the world that we live in is there's one group of people that are the action people 
And the, the advice that they give is action, 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 go, activity, go, move, move, move. And I have no issue with that except for the fact that it doesn't work, right? Now here's why it creates the illusion that it works. Because it works sometimes. It sometimes works. It sometimes works. And have you ever talked to somebody that invested in, in the stock market or maybe they invested in the lottery? Him. <laughs> or maybe they, but here, here's what they'll do. They, they, they've been, they've been, they lost money here, they lost money there, they lost money the other place, they lost money up here, they had that, they lost money. And then one day they win some money and you meet them out for a drink or something and they don't ever tell you about all the money they lost. All they tell you is what a good deal they got when they got Google so cheap and it went so high. Make sense? And we all do that. As humans, we have a tendency to forget about the losses. And a good analogy that works for this pretty well is basketball, because I'm a big basketball fan, especially that NCAA tournament. I just watched as many of those games as I possibly could and enjoyed every single second of it. But if you watch a great basketball player, they have, especially a shooter, of course, they have this way of getting open and getting centered for a split second before taking their shot. And I would argue that the essence of the true shooter is that ability to pause and find his balance and find his focus. Now they do it rapidly and they do it quickly. But if I were to say that, Mr. Shooter, this is about action. Just start throwing the ball up. Just throw it up. Don't worry about that. You'll figure it out. Just keep throwing the ball up. Pretty soon that coach is going to make that young man sit down. Does that make sense? It's the essence of catching your balance, catching your internal focus, catching your purpose first, and letting that purpose guide you to the action that makes the biggest difference in the action. Now, going back to that basketball analogy, if that young man were allowed to throw up an unlimited number of shots without getting focused, without getting centered, I guarantee you that one out of every two or 300 might go in. And then if you were to meet that young man for a drink somewhere, he wouldn't tell you about the two or 300 misses. He'd only tell you about the makes. So I wouldn't tell you for one second to not work hard, to not go into action. But what I would tell you is if you'll spend more time on getting the proper mindset first so that the action becomes what we call inspired action, so that the action is the feeling of you're being pulled by the action, not trying to motivate yourself, not trying to beat up on yourself, not trying to force yourself into something, then the world will look at you and they will say, man, that person is a hard worker. Man, that person has self-discipline. Man, that person has self-control. And inside, you will know you're giving the appearance of all of those things, but the truth of the matter is, the reason that you work so hard is because it's become a passion to you. And it's not hard work when it becomes a passion. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So I want to end this talk with two brief little stories, and they kind of intertwine with each other. And one of them I sort of kind of opened with, but it's very interesting because you know, we're teaching all these children and you have the one child who is really, really, really 
being rebellious. He's folding his arms or sitting down. And what we do as martial artists is we've developed this ability to look at the group and as I was saying in one of the kids' classes earlier, sort of have the superpower of turning that one invisible. Because we know that that one, no matter how hard he tries, no matter how rebellious he is, he does not have the discipline to stay rotten for too long. And we know that at some point, at some point, he's gonna do something good and we're gonna be on him like a hawk on a rabbit. The second he does something good, we're gonna point it out to him and we're gonna to begin to change his behavior. But I, I tell you this because then I'll have young instructors that are working with people and they'll come to me and they'll say, Sensei, what about Johnny? What about him? I mean, he's that one that's always like that. He's the one that's like that. And my favorite thing to tell them when that comes up to me is, you don't understand yet. Our kids program is all about Johnny. He's the reason that we became teachers. Because if we can master the ability of turning Johnny invisible, then that unfair situation at work, we can also turn invisible. Then that unfair relationship situation we're dealing with, we can also turn invisible. Then those people that tell us we can't reach and achieve the goals that we've set for ourselves, we can turn those people invisible too. And then the second story I'll tell you, I told in one of the day classes the other day, is a story that came from uh, the great meditator, spiritual teacher, Ram Das. And Ram Das, in his home, he used to set up a, a little altar where each day he would wake up and he would do his meditation, but before he would do, he would look at the masters that he'd put on his altar to remember the gratitude and the essence of what he learned from each of those masters. And he had a picture of Jesus on his altar. And each morning he would bow to the picture and be so grateful. And then he had a picture of the Buddha. And he would do the same with the Buddha. And he had a picture of Krishna. These were his big influences. And then he would go about his, his day. Now the thing about Ram Das was, it, this was, he was a professor, so he was very political. And I don't know the politics on it. And I don't really care about the politics on it. But there was at that time one particular politician uh, by the name of Casper Weinberg, who Ram Das had a problem with. And he said, I would start my day in my meditation, I would start my day focused and loving and kind and really emulating those three pictures. And then I would turn on the TV and I would see Casper Weinberg and I would just lose who I really was every single time. And then, one day it hit me that as great as those great spiritual masters were and as great as they were influencing me and had such a positive influence on my life, there was one person that had the potential to give me even greater influence. And that day, I put a fourth picture on my altar. And each morning I would get up and I would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Buddha, thank you, Krishna, and thank you, Casper. And I realized at that moment that the purpose of my altar was not for the first three masters, but it was for the fourth. That was the purpose of the altar. The purpose of our dojo is for that 
child that gets lost and gets swept through the cracks at times. And sometimes every single one of us is that child. This is Joe Hertzellers from OhioMartialArts.com. Thanks for listening to my show. Hey, I can't tell you how much I would appreciate a review. Good or bad, your comments mean the world to me. I put directions on how to put an iTunes review in the show notes. Also, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me by going to OhioMartialArts.com, scroll down to the bottom of any page, and hit the email link. Lastly, I wrote a book a few years ago called Break the Chain. You might like that if you like this podcast. I put the link in the show notes. Check it out on Amazon. Again, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. Thanks, and have a great rest of your day.